0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Shot, Creative and Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. We thought we'd give you a little more variety this week and start a brand new Bible study. We're not quite done with Science of the Bible, but we'll come back to that in a few weeks. So this week we'll be doing The Road to Emmaus, and I'm going to let Michael take you away with that in just a minute. As always, you can help support this broadcast and keep it free by donating online at evidenceforfaith.org. give. That's evidence, the number four, faithorg give also check out our learning website which has worksheets and powerpoints and other resources if you're doing this study as a group and as always don't forget to give us a review and share this podcast online with others so they can find it as well and with that here is michael in the road to emmaus
1: Hello and welcome to Evidence for Faith. This is Michael Lane again, coming to you on a podcast. And this is actually starting a new series. I'm very excited about this. We've been getting a lot of requests for for podcasts. And um, now that we've got the the studio set up and we're getting some time to do this, we're going to start one right now. We're going to start a series. So this is an introduction to a series. It's called The Road to Emmaus the messianic prophecies and we'll be doing this series um this will be uh, quite a few recordings because we're gonna be covering about 80 major prophecies found in the old testament concerning the messiah and uh i have taught this uh, well i've wrote this back starting in the uh, mid-1990s i have taught this numerous times i've taught it for high school i've taught it for college i've taught it for adults and every time I've taught this, the feedback that we've always received has been just absolutely remarkable. Uh, matter of fact, I can't recall ever hearing anything negative about this. This is just a fascinating study. Um, let me tell you how this came about and because it's sort of interesting how this series, um, how I came about writing this back in the 1990s. And by the way, this is um, right now it's in a book form for me, but we are working to get this, um, edited and put into print, uh, um, get it published, because uh, we've had a number of people requesting the book for this. And so we're going to try and get this done, um, hopefully before Christmas, and um, when it'll be available, we'll hopefully have this out for, uh, say for instance, like Amazon, Books a Million, uh, Barnes and Noble. That's You can buy my other books, The Stones Bear Witness, and more Stones Bear Witness are on those also. So, this will be another book that we'll be printing, The Road to Emmaus. Now, like I said, how did this start and why did we even begin? Did I begin to do this? Dates back into the mid 1990s. Back at that time, I was a school teacher in high school in a town called Braidwood. And uh, in the church I was um, attending um, in the Kankakee area, because we lived in Bourbon, a, Illinois at the time. Um, I was the youth director at the church, among other things that I did there. But uh, i it was in the latter part of the summer, it was in early August, I know that the youth group, um, I met together with a bunch of the senior leaders of our youth group, students I'm talking about. Um, I think there was one of the elders that was in on this meeting also. Um, but we were getting together and i wanted to talk to there was about six of my high school kids there and i asked them what do you think would be a really really good series to do for this this coming school year and i asked them, you know like let's just have some informal time here to sit in and talk about it and you know i want your input as to what would be a good series now i said I want to do something that is really going to help you in your spiritual walk that will help you in your relationship with Jesus. Now, to give you an idea of some of the things we've done before, we had done the book of Galatians. We had done many topical studies, um, numerous topical studies. We did some other Old Testament studies. We did a, a thing on the, uh, on the tabernacle and Jesus. Um, we had run through a, ser- a series on that. We did a, uh, a series on John and, and some others, but I said, Uh, We also did some science ones. We we had talked about evolution in the past and and a little bit on archaeology. But I asked them, what would really impact you? What do you need and what do you think the people your age in our youth group really could use to help them this year? I don't want to just be, you know, just spouting stuff out. I want to give you what you, you feel like you need. What do you really want? And so a lot of discussions came up. It was an informal discussion. I said, you just, just speak your minds. I'm going to sit and take notes, and we're just, we're just going to sit and talk about it. And um, you make suggestions, and then I will spend some time praying about it, which I ask you to do too. And then I said, and uh, coming up on a Wednesday, because our Bible studies were on Wednesday nights, I said, on Wednesday, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to be doing. And so we did, we just sat around the table. I think we were eating some treats, no one meals was probably Dunkin' Donuts or something. But we were sitting around and um, eating and uh, just talking about what we were gonna do. And we had a lot of different suggestions that were made. But one of them, uh, I still remember this distinctly, yet this was probably around 94, 1995, somewhere in there. But there was, had a girl in my youth group whose name was Laura, really sweet gal. And Laura said, Um, in the discussion as things were going around. She says, I would like to know more about Jesus in the Old Testament. And immediately some of the others said, what do you mean by that? And she says, a while ago, Michael, you were actually teaching us a lesson, and you mentioned about how um, this passage is all about Jesus, yet it was an Old Testament passage, and you talked about him. And um, I would like to know more about Jesus like in the Old Testament? Where where do we find him? And and what do we see about these prophecies and and things? uh, What can we learn about Jesus that way to add to our faith? And as they sat and they talked about it, um, some were saying like, yeah, this would be something that would really help us, that we would be able to know know, um, better that Jesus is Messiah, would solidify this in our minds, and it would also give us very, very good um, ammunition for um, telling people that Jesus is the Messiah. And to be honest, I was really intrigued by their request here. And I, you know I wrote it down, and we had some others that we talked about too. But after this meeting was over and I went home and I started spending the next couple of days praying specifically about this, I really and about the other topics, this one just kept coming to the forefront of my mind that I felt like God really just saying, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to write this series. And so, um, Wednesday came along, and I said, uh, got the youth group together, and I said, okay, this year, what we're gonna be doing, um, we're going to cover the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, the major ones. Uh, There's about 79 or 80, I said, of those, and we're gonna cover those starting in Genesis, going through um, Malachi. I said, the point is, uh, it's going to be like an Old Testament survey in a way because we're going to be hitting all these, um, these books, but we're going to particularly be looking to see how Jesus is covered in these. Um, I told them about uh, A.B. Simpson. A.B. Simpson was a famous theologian. He, um, I think he actually started the Missionary Alliance denomination. I think he started that. <clears throat> but um, I, he wrote a commentary. He wrote quite a few things. I have his commentary set sitting right here behind me right now. And in this series, um, it's all about Jesus in the Old Testament. It is said that A. B. Simpson could uh, just about look at any passage in the in the Old Testament and see Jesus, like every chapter of the Old Testament he could see Jesus in. He could find something pertaining. Um, though a lot of times Christians don't even like to go there. They think, well, the Old Testament, that's the old covenant. We don't have anything to do with it. Let's only study the the new covenant. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I had an instance a few years back. I was talking to a youth group um, at at the camp I used to work with at um, here in northern Wisconsin, and there was a, a a group that was meeting, a youth group that had come up, sizable church, and I was their speaker, and I actually was uh, took a passage, and for the weekend that they were here, I had four lessons, and I was using the Book of Leviticus, um, for my passage, and after the um, the third session on. on um, there's just one more to go because there's four sessions I was doing after the third one, the pastor of the church comes up to me this is the senior pastor who comes up to me and he says can we take a walk? Um, I want I need to talk to you about something I said sure certainly so we walked outside now you got to understand this was in middle of February it's like 20 below outside and we're walking around and, around camp outside and because um, he wants some privacy with me and and I had spoken to this church many times before, but he says, you know, Michael, I'm, I've am i always enjoyed having you as our speaker, but this time I'm really not liking what you're doing. I'm, I'm sort of upset with your topic and your choice. And I go, how so? And he says, because you're using, your primary source is the Old Testament and specifically the book of Leviticus. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, that's the old covenant. He says it doesn't pertain to us. Um, Christians don't even have to read this. We don't even have to study it. There's no reason for it. So I never preach on it. I never touch the Old Testament. Um, And he was going on and on and chiding me for using an Old Testament passage. And after he got done, I said, can I ask you a couple of questions as we're walking along, um, passing cabin after cabin as we're walking around Fort in the snow. And I said, can you see that cabin there? And he goes, yeah. And I said, Um, you're looking at the what part of the cabin. He says, well, what do you mean? Like the walls, the the roof? I said, precisely. You can see the walls and the roof, and inside are the the bunks and tables and stuff. And he goes, yeah, what's your point? And I said, "Um, do you notice it's built on something? And he says, well, you can't see it in the snow. I said, but you know it's built on something, right? And he says, well, yeah, I imagine when you guys build, you, you have to put a foundation down, because you always have to do that when you build a building. I said, exactly. There is a foundation. There's a footing. There's a uh, a slab port. There's actually heaters in the floor. I said, but the thing is, this building has a foundation. I said, the New Testament has a foundation also. It is based upon a lot of the Old Covenant. And we sat and we talked as we walked around, we didn't sit, we walked around talking some more on this, and I was presenting this in a way that, uh, that the Old Testament is important, even for Christians and for our, our doctrine, because it was used numerous times in the New Testament. Um, and Matthew quotes it frequently. And um, I, I challenged him. I said, um, I know you're probably going to come back next year. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you please do a personal Bible study um, between now and next year when you come back? on the book of Leviticus. And he goes, really? And I go, I challenge you to do this. Do the book of Leviticus. And I said, what I want you to look for is how does the New Testament uh, fit with that? How is this a foundation for the New Testament? Well, he, I didn't think he'd do it, to be honest, but he did come back the next year. And as soon as we got together, he said, um, as the before the first session even began, he pulled me aside and he says, "Do you remember our discussion last year?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Do you know that um, I took up your challenge?" Um, actually, he said, I, "I took a seminary course. I went back and I had some hours to take for seminary, and I thought I'm going to take a seminary course on the Book of Leviticus and just see what you're talking about, um, if it's if it's if you're correct or whatever." And as he says, as this course went on, he says, I got to tell you, Leviticus has become one of my favorite books. He says, I had no idea there was so much about Jesus in this in this Old Testament book, and he says, I got to apologize for my comments last year. He says, this was absolutely an amazing thing. You, you, I, I never caught this before, and I said, well, I'm glad, and I said, just don't stop with this book. There's a lot of other um, Old Testament books, a lot with Jesus in them. So there is this kind of thing. As a matter of fact. Um, as we, we're going to be studying this, what I call the road to Emmaus. The reason I call the study the road to Emmaus is based on the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. We read, and um, I encourage you to follow along as we do this study. As a matter of fact, before I read this passage, let me just make this comment to you. Um, I, I don't have this book available yet that you can purchase. So I encourage you, if you go through this podcast study, a Bible study with me, please get your Bible out. Uh, I read Bible passages all the time um, and we're basing, I mean, it's a Bible study, you're gonna need a Bible. It always behooves me when people go to a Bible study and don't bring in a Bible. Have your Bible though, you might have it on a phone or an iPad or something like that, but have a Bible. We're gonna be using the English Standard Translation because it's a word for word, um, it's, it's a formal, uh, translation, so it goes word-for-word word, um, as opposed to a, a dynamic one which is a thought-for-thought. Thought, like uh, Thought-for-thoughts like NIV, uh, the um, Net Bible, the um, NLT, God's Word translations, those are thought-for-thought. Thought. Um, I want to go by a word-for-word word translation, so English Standard, New American Standard, Um, New King James, yes, Um, and uh, at times I will even use the Interlinear Bible. But this series is based upon using, as its primary source, the English Standard Version. So have that. Also, I encourage you to get a notebook, spiral pad composition notebook or something like that to take notes on as we go through this. I'm going to point out certain things to you. And as I taught this for my youth group and I wrote this series, we didn't have a book. We didn't have anything. They just had their Bibles. I had them all get composition notebooks or a spiral notebook that they could teach uh, or write notes on, and I had a marker board in the classroom where we met on Wednesday nights. So just using the marker board and them sitting, and we're just comparing the passages and and looking at things, um, almost sword drill, going from Old Testament to New Testament frequently. Um, they were writing stuff down and. Afterwards, they said this really helped them by having this written. So I encourage you to write this down, too. But going back now, how did I come up with the name for this study of the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament as to the road to Emmaus comes from Luke chapter 24. Starting in verse 13, It's we start reading, and it's, this passage is found in verse 13 through 55. It says, we read that... Um, After the resurrection of Jesus, matter of fact, it says that day, the same day as the resurrection, Jesus met two men traveling to Emmaus who were downhearted um, because of the seemingly death of the prophet, um, who they thought was the Messiah. And Jesus asked them, because these guys were really down, they're very depressed, and Jesus asked them, as it says, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they replied in shock, asking if he was the only visitor. Didn't know what the chief priests and the Romans had recently done to this man named Jesus, because um, they thought he was the Messiah. It says, then um, the scriptures record something very very interesting, and is. We talked about this um, when the youth group, we had the discussion going on. This is what, as they were talking about the passage, this is what came to my mind was verse 27. And it says, "And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that would be Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." That's an amazing passage. In other words, starting with the beginnings of the Old Testament. In the Bible, starting with Moses' writings, Jesus explains um, who he is, what the Messiah is, his purpose was, different prophecies of the Messiah. Then he goes after the Torah, the first five books, he gets into the, the prophecies, and he he ties, basically, he ties the Old Testament to what is now taking place as the New Covenant is being formed. And in doing this, he has laid the foundation of the New Testament on the Old Testament, how interesting this is! So, on this seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, these three, as they walked along, two listening, uh, Cleopas. We're told was the name of one of them. Why did Mark include his name? We don't know hardly anything else about him. Uh, I'm sorry, Luke. Why did Luke include his name? Was so that people could go back and check what Luke is writing. It's true. He actually names. Cleopas was one of these. You don't believe me, Go, talk, you know, don't believe what you're reading here. Go talk to Cleopas. He lives in Emmaus, and you can hear it from him. So that's why the name is included. But Jesus takes these Old Testament prophecies and shows how they portray and, and foretell the coming Messiah, and that Jesus fulfilled these things. And so knowing the Old Testament writings and, and the law of Moses, we see it pertains to the Messiah. And Jesus wasn't the only person who did this. Now, yes, this is recorded in Luke 24, but Paul did this, and Philip, the evangelist, did this. Matter of fact, in Acts, if if you turn to Acts chapter 8, you're going to see a passage here where you're going to see Philip talking to the Ethiopian eunuch who's riding in a chariot, and he's reading from the book of Isaiah, but he doesn't understand what he's reading. Now, obviously, he is a person who who is a believer. He has come from Ethiopia to worship at the temple. So he's a believer in God. He's reading. He has obtained a copy of a scroll. He is an official person. He's reading it, but he's not understanding what he's reading. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, hey, go over there, i got a job for you. And so Philip goes over and stands there, uh, or walks alongside, and here's what he's reading. And Philip then asks him, and it says, starting there in verse 35, this is chapter 8, verse 35 the book of Acts. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. Philip basically asked, do you know what you're reading? And the guy goes, no, I don't understand it. No, I don't have anybody to teach me. Can you teach me? And he gets up there and he starts taking that scripture. But now I want you to notice something. Notice something interesting here. It says, beginning with this scripture. In other words, he's using this scripture that the Ethiopian was reading, but he's also using other scriptures to teach him Um, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's using the Old Testament. Paul does the exact same thing in talking with the Jews. In Acts chapter 24, skip over a couple of chapters so you get to Acts chapter 24. Paul is under arrest. He's at Caesarea Maritima, and he is standing before Felix. And the Jews have come up the Sanhedrin. They're trying to have Paul put to death. Um, they need the Romans to do it. And Felix, who is the governor, could care less about any of this, really, but um, he's letting them have a trial. And then he turns, and he tells Paul, after they've laid all these accusations that they want Paul dead, um, and Felix turns to Paul and says, now it's your turn to talk, and I just want to read out of verse 14 and 15 of Acts 24. It says, but this is Paul speaking, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers. "...believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust." Now, did you catch it? It says, beginning, uh, "...believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets." What's he talking about? Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. That's what he's referring to. Uh, skip over just a couple pages in your Bibles to acts 26 um, We have Paul on trial again this time he has a king Agrippa there. now Agrippa is is part Jewish um, not through Herod but through his mother um, and so um, or his grandmother actually and so he's speaking to Agrippa uh, Paul is. And defending himself here again, and he says, now this is Acts 26, looking at verse 22 and 23, look what it says here. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Wow. Did you see what Paul just said? Saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. What is that? Old Testament prophecies. We need to know these things. This is what Paul is using for defense. Now, a second time. And he's not done. Let's skip over another couple of chapters to Acts 28. This time, Paul, this is after the shipwreck, he has made his way to to Rome. He has now secured housing in Rome, and he has invited the Jews, because Rome is a large city, the largest city at the time, and he invites the Jews to come uh, from the leaders of the synagogues. There would have been more than one synagogue. Invites these leaders of the synagogues to come and visit him, and um, he wants to talk to them. He, He wants to teach them. So moving down to verse 23, it says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Here we see Paul doing this again. One of the best ways to witness to Jews, even to this day, Jews that um, are still looking for the Messiah, is to get them to look at the Old Testament prophecies. Do exactly what Paul did in Acts 24, 26, and 28. You use the Old Testament. Now, how can we do that as Christians? We need to know it. We need to know it. Matthew's gospel is a unique gospel because it's this portrait that Matt, Matthew paints. It, it's uh, of who Jesus is. He's talking about the kingship of the Messiah. That's what his, his gospel is about, how Jesus is the king, Messiah, uh, who's coming to reign. So he focuses on kingship. But what he also does is he constantly uses Old Testament prophecies. And we see so many of these in Matthew's gospel and then how Jesus fulfills them. It's remarkable. But oh my gosh, there are so many things in there. And this study is so important for us Christians to know. As I said, I have used this study for high school, for college students, and even adults. Let me me just tell you one one such person. His name was Tom. Tom um, sat through my, he was a college student sitting through my classes on this and uh, as we were doing the Road to Emmaus. And as uh, at the end of the course um, he they were taking notes and using composition notebook filling things in and stuff a while after the class was over uh, tom was asked a question what in the la-, you know what have you done what kind of bible study or st- something have you done that really impacted your faith probably the most what bible study did you do and tom said going through michael's road to Emmaus, which they're like what's that about And Tom said it's the Old Testament prophecies of who the Messiah is. He said, there's been times, and I'm sure all of us can agree with this, there have been times where we had doubts about Jesus being the Messiah. And he said, this just put all the doubts away. Seeing how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies just blew my mind. And he says, it added to my faith and made me um, follow Christ even more. Now, he's not the only person who ever said that. There have been many people who have told me going through this series, this impacted me in a way I never thought it would. I didn't think much of the Old Testament. Now I absolutely love the Old Testament. It is so cool because I see how it's constantly pointing to Jesus and how Jesus, more importantly, how Jesus is the Messiah. That is so, so special and so good so much good news to us today that is the Gospel Jesus is the Messiah, and He came to redeem us, which we see all through these prophecies it 's so exciting to see this stuff so that 's what this series is about that 's what we 're going to be talking about as we go through this but um, I just this is the introduction, as I might have said at the beginning, this is just an introduction to what 's your appetite it 's like the hors d'oeuvre before you get the meal um, so we 're having like little you know um, little sponge cakes or something like that here with a uh, little Um, canopies and and things, just to have a little treat to get your appetite warmed up and to help you find your appetite. i want to show you something else about the introduction and and about this series that is just absolutely mind-boggling. And to do this, I I want to tell you about a book. There was a book that was written back in the 1990s. It was called The Unrandom Universe. The Unrandom Universe. You can buy it on Amazon for about 10 or $15 or something like that. The author's name is Sigmund uh, Brouwer. I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, Sigmund Brouwer. And he relates in this book that mathematicians had recently calculated the odds of impossibility. Quote, if probability is less than 1 in 10 to the 50th power, it is essentially impossible or beyond reason," unquote. Now, I used to work, um, I did studies and worked for a short period of time in the field of fisheries genetics. Um, I published my thesis in in that. Um, And Working in fisheries genetics, we were keeping track and trying to predict probability of certain genes occurring in certain species of fish. And we're using mathematical properties and stuff to do this. Those who are uh, into genetics or have studied genetics, you know what I'm talking about. Hardy, Weinberg, and all these other fun formulas and equations. And trying to find out what's the the fit of probability on certain um, genes and alleles, uh, certain characteristics appearing and and stuff and being transferred. Well, as we were doing this... um, we constantly would, would use and come out with um, uh, different answers that we came up with for probability of things happening. Now, we had to test the probability to see if it was viable. So there are certain rules and laws now that have been put into place in the field of statistics uh, on probability to do this. And what they found out is just what you see in this book. Um, if the probability of something is less than one in 10 to the 50th power, it is scientifically possible. Maybe highly improbable, but it is scientifically possible. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, 10 to the 50th power, that's a one with 50 zeros behind it. That is a honking big number. I have no idea what number that is. That's just a huge number. But that means, literally, to put it in simplistic terms, if we took a coin, like a quarter, a normal quarter, and flipped it once, and it comes up hits the table, and comes up heads, Okay, we pick up that same quarter, flip it again, and it comes up head again. Wow, came up heads two times. What if we flip it a third time and it comes up heads? And we're like, okay, that happens. Um, If you flip it a hundred times and it comes up heads, whoa. Now That's when you're examining, is this a two-headed coin or something? Um, You flip it a thousand times, and every single time it comes up heads. Scientifically, that is possible. It's starting to get improbable, but it is... Possible. Flip it 1 billion times every time it comes up heads. It's a normal quarter. Scientifically, it is possible. It's highly improbable, but it is possible. Go to a trillion times. Highly, highly improbable, but it is scientifically possible. You flip it 10 to the 50th time, it comes up heads all those times. That's when science draws the line and says, no, this is impossibility. So we use things like that. Now, beyond 10 to the 50th power, that's, that is what is called mathematically impossible for it to occur by chance. That's what that means. Mathematically impossible for it to occur by chance. Yet when one considers all the Messianic prophecies now found in the Old Testament, there's like 79 or 80 major ones, there's about 250 or so minor ones. Considering all these Old Testament prophecies... And then you try to calculate the odds of one individual, one single person in their lifetime fulfilling every single one of these prophecies. What's the odds of that? Well, mathematicians have figured this out, and it's been documented in many, many books. Mathematicians have documented the odds of one person fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies for the the Messiah. And it comes out to be 1 to 10 to the 250th power. Did you catch that? 10 to the 250th. What did we just learn? What does science say? It's scientifically impossible. It cannot happen. Yet, that is exactly what happened. Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. It is beyond the realm of science to explain it. Do you know what you call stuff like that? There's a word we use. It's called miracle I have picked up books, and I have books on the miracles of Jesus. To be honest, I have never, ever found in any of the books, um, well, maybe maybe on one occasion I did, but in almost all the books I come across, I never find where it lists the miracles of Jesus, him fulfilling all the Old Testament messianic prophecies. You just don't see that. We don't think of that. Theologians often don't write that. But the thing is, that is something Jesus did. It's a miracle that often escapes us. We often. Uh, miss it. We, we travel so fast over this aspect of it, and we look for, you know, water turned to wine, we look at walking on water, we look at raising people from the dead, healing the blind, healing the mute, um, stuff like this. We catch that, and we see those as miracles, but we, we miss this one. This is a miracle that is definitely evidence to support that Jesus is the Messiah. This is a phenomenal miracle. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take a look at 79, 80. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. I'm not going to flip through the book here and see what the last one is. But we're going to take a look at about 80 of these prophecies that you find in the Old Testament dealing with Jesus' first coming as the Messiah. And this is the suffering Messiah that he's coming um, to as the first time. Um, The Old Testament uh, frequently refers to two messiahs. If you never caught this, if you study Messianic prophecies, you'll notice there's two messiahs. Um, We're going to study that. We're going to come across that in here. Um, Some uh, of the prophecies, uh, most of them, deal with the first coming. That is the suffering messiah, the one who is the redeemer, the one who is going to uh, take our place in death. Um, He's going to be atoning Um, he's going to be the propitiation, he's going to to take care and restore us to God the Father, that because of our sins, we have chosen to disobey God and and we don't follow him. Jesus comes as the suffering Messiah, and we're going to see those prophecies. But there is a second set of prophecies also, and that deals with the future coming, when the Messiah, when Jesus returns. Those have not happened yet. Uh, Though I do believe in our time we're living right now, now, many people are thinking we are right on the doorstep, um, that we are in the as what is often called the last days of the last days. Um, that's a whole other topic there, we're not going to get into that at this point. But we will mention at times certain Messianic prophecies that deal with Jesus in the future, because there's a number of these that we're going to see. They have not been fulfilled, they will not be fulfilled until he comes again. And so there's two sets. That is the victorious warrior judge king Messiah. That's that one who hasn't come. The suffering Messiah came. The Jews missed it. They totally missed it. They assumed after the fall of Jerusalem that the suffering Messiah was was the land, was was the people of Israel, not basically a Messiah. They, They got it all messed up. Uh, When the temple was destroyed, they were distraught. The Sanhedrin formed, and they tried to decide what happened. And they assumed that the Messiah, uh, the suffering Messiah, was not really a person. It was more the land, and and the people of Israel are going to be the ones that suffer. And now, uh, that's why, if you never caught it, that's why the Jews missed Jesus with all these messianic prophecies, how could they miss this? They weren't looking for the suffering Messiah. To them, he had already come. They were looking for the victorious warrior, judge, king, Messiah. And when Jesus comes again, that's what he will be. The thing is, if you catch it now, the unbelieving Jews, um, non-messianic Jews, um, they are looking for now the same Messiah we are. We're both looking for the same one, the victorious warrior, judge, king, when he comes again. They missed the first one, Christians and Messianic Jews understood the first one, and they accepted the first one. So we see both of these occurring like that. So you will see these in as we go through this series, you will come across many uh, of these prophecies. Some are so blatantly clear how Jesus fulfilled these. There's a few that we'll talk about as we, as we walk through this series. Um, throughout different books that will you'll be able to see, oh, yeah, this is an end-time prophecy. Exactly. And that's what we're going to be coming across. So with that, that is the introduction to this course. I hope you're going to um, tune in and listen to this. This is fascinating material. And as I said, we hope to put this in a book um, soon before we get it, um, we finish this thing. We hope to have it done. Um, I have to re-edit the book and put some new things in and Um, because I wrote this originally back in the 1990s, and there's some, um, just the way I want to rephrase it and redo it, i got to do. i got to find some time to do that. But in the meantime, take a composition notebook, have your Bible set out as we go through this series, and I hope that this will cement in your mind, beyond any doubt, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Anointed is the Son of God, and we can have eternal life. In the presence of God because of what He is. And God gave us so many signs of how you will recognize Him when He comes. And that's what we're going to see here as we study this series. So, thanks for joining me on this introduction. Um, those of you who know me well, you know I really hate introductions. Uh, they are a necessary thing, but um, I, I rather just get right into the meat of stuff. But that's a necessary thing, because you got to know what you're listening for. So, as we've gone through this now, um, join me on the next lesson as we get into, we'll start in Genesis, obviously, and we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll begin going through, starting in Genesis, we'll end in Malachi, and we'll just see where the Holy Spirit takes us as we go through this, because he will be the one doing the teaching. Thanks for your prayers, and I encourage you to um, to get into the word daily, um, to feed your soul before you even feed your body. Every morning, get into the Word of God. Get your day started like that. Um, and just listen and, and feed on what the Spirit will give you. And He will teach you. He wants you to know stuff. So join us as we go through this. We thank you for praying for our ministry also. And until uh, the next lesson, God bless and take care.
0: You enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org and help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you'd like to hear Michael live, you can check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org. And on that note, this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.